In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. That was a that was a hard gospel reading to do. Were you there with me? Unfortunately, I can I can I can feel the tension within Herod. I'll talk about that a little bit today, but. Maybe I'll break the tension a little bit by telling you kind of a sweet story. Long before I was Orthodox, I was visiting Orthodox churches. I went with some family and, uh, and my wife. And I don't, I don't know. No, it was before we were Orthodox. We didn't have any kids yet. It's funny to say that our children are cradle Orthodox. Us being, you know, having converted to orthodoxy. We were visiting probably 16 years ago in Florida. And uh, we had a nice service there and we went home and we were celebrating uh, nativity with our family. And someone asked me, can, can I ask you a question? What was up with the that angel that was holding a head on a platter up front. And I thought about it for a sec. What is he talking about? And I, I realized that in their icon of St. John the Baptist, one of the common depictions of him is that he's always, he's on the iconostasis, always if you're facing the iconostasis, to the right of Christ. And in common depictions of him, he's given wings, because he's referred to as the angel of the desert. And in, that icon, in some icons, he'll have his head on a platter, showing what had happened to him, or sometimes it's off to the side. So what's up with that angel holding a head? You know, can you imagine like not knowing? That's kind of a strange thing to see if you, out of context. And uh, it's because it, that icon actually shows, really shows the story of St. John's life. And that happens on a lot of iconography. You see not just one moment captured, static moment, but actually a combination of one, you know, one whole story, a combination of events all summed up in one thing. The icon of nativity is like that. You've got Christ in the middle being born, and then you've got him down there being washed by um, the midwives, you know. It's not because two babies were born. The same with that icon of St. John the Forerunner. And he's given a, a very, very important place in the life of the Orthodox Church, and hopefully in the life of you know, all Christians, he was that, he was Elias that, that people were expecting. He was that one proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He was proclaiming something historical, but he was also proclaiming something theological, or you could say spiritual. Spiritual 
Make paths straight within you, you know. Be ready to receive the living God. He's especially precious even from his young age because before he was even born, you may remember in the Gospel of Luke, before he was even born, he leaped in his mother's womb for joy. When, it, when Mary came pregnant with Jesus, and at that moment his mother became a prophet, proclaiming the faithfulness of Mary, who was going to fulfill what the angel had spoken in her life. His prophecies began even in the womb. He lived an ascetical life. And we talk about asceticism a lot in the Orthodox Church. That's because it's relevant. Asceticism as spiritual struggle. As um, physical struggle, self-deprivation and discipline. He, was a, he lived a monastic life. And the monastics often see him as their example. Proto-monastic. Along with, guess who else? Our Most Holy Lady lived a very monastic type of life. Even though she had her son. And uh, the story from today's Gospel reading goes that John, having been a prophet proclaiming the truth, also spoke out against the immorality of Herod. Herod had become an adulterer, taking his brother Philip's wife as his own and putting his own wife aside. And John publicly decried the immorality. I see something extremely profound in that. He could have called out the sin of any person he saw. You're selfish. Don't be rude to your husband. I see that you're, you de you're delaying your repentance. Who knows what it may be. You know, you eat too much. He, but he called out the local authority who was an adulterer. And something particularly significant about that is that, um, and many of you who've experienced brokenness in families, many of us have. I want you to know that one of the one of the greatest tragedies resulting from the fall of humanity is the fragmentation of families. God created us to be one with one another and that is perfected in marriage. When a man and woman who God created to be with one another, come together. And if he so wills, they become co-creators with him. Something beautiful and unique and unrepeatable happens when two people seek to become joined together. It becomes an image of the Holy Trinity, especially when the children are born. Father, mother, children. A perfect triad of love. That's what we were made for. And so when that, when that is rent, and many of you, I remember when I was a child and my parents divorced, it happened to me. I felt, I felt torn in two. 
I felt like I, I became two persons in one body. My dad's child and my mother's child. They were no longer together. So anytime there's talk about the tragedy of adultery and the breakdown of families, I think something, something essential, some real deep pain happens. That's, that's why it hurts so much when we come out of broken families and broken relationships, and it takes a long time to heal. And I'm not talking about this in order to condemn. There's something very interesting that happened. Herod heard John and he feared John. Why did he fear John? Because John spoke the truth. And the truth always demands something of us. It either reveals or confirms. It's like a light being shown. A bright light. And when John spoke, he spoke truth. And that's, that's part of the reason why Herod was so sorry. At that time when he made that, that terrible vow to Herodias' daughter. In this story, you can see a juxtaposition between St. John the Baptist and Herod. John was pure-hearted, a follower of Christ, selfless, a proclaimer of truth. And Herod was full of falsehood, a liar and a cheater. And... Um, Many of us can relate to <laughs> more to Herod in some ways, I think, than we can to St. John, even though we want to be more like St. John. I'd like to think, you know, I'm special like him. You know, it's, I can speak the truth. But, um, but a lot of times that disagreement, that conflict within myself takes place that, I can, that causes me to relate to Herod, and it's not actually problematic, again, simply to say, I can understand what he went through. It's problematic if you do what he did. Lack humility and do everything just to save face, despite the sin that has been revealed. While I was reflecting on that, I thought about another person who's very, very special in the life of the church, whom we commemorated yesterday. And I know many of you have probably heard about him, but I don't know if you know about him. A third person that I want to mention today is uh, St. Moses the Ethiopian. Have you heard of him? Have you read his life? St. Moses, he was a large man, muscular, a threatening robber, a murderer, basically everything bad that could, could be done. He did. I was thinking about, he was like a, you know, like a cowboy in the desert of, of Egypt, you know, or of Ethiopia, North Africa. He ended up living in Egypt later. Every sin seems to be a, a mark on one's record, an affirmation of one's sentence of condemnation. Every mistake that you make further confirms how bad you are. That's how we treat people we don't like, too. You ever notice that? 
You disagree with someone, then you demonize them. I knew they, I knew they made mistakes. I knew they were wrong. Oh, that thing that they're doing further confirms that they're wrong. And I'm right. And in the life of St. Moses, before he was a saint, he definitely stacked up those marks on his record that would have confirmed his fate of condemnation. The embrace of hell. Hell was ready to wrap its arms around him. But, one of my favorite words is but, with regard to the spiritual life. Yeah, I'm worthy of condemnation, but. Yes, I'm not worthy to draw near to the holy mysteries, but. Yes, I would be completely flailing and dead in sin, but. But for Christ's love. Christ grabbed a hold of the the heart. He captured the heart of St. Moses. And unlike Herod, he didn't say, no, I'm a robber and a thief. And that's what defines me. I can't give up on that. Then I'd be a true hypocrite. It'd be what I am. No, because Christ reveals what we truly are. So St. Moses repented which means did an absolute 180 from his life of skilled thievery and murder. He was good at the things he did. The other robbers and thieves feared him. And he sought to live a life of repentance. He lived as a, one of the, he's considered one of the desert fathers. And actually early on in his time in his cell, living the monastic life, Four thieves came upon his cell and jumped upon him. Not knowing that they were attacking the the once known Moses the robber who could easily tie up four men and throw them over his shoulder, which is what he did. He grabbed them, four men, carried them to the church, and set them down, and I, he said, I cannot return life for life. What should I do with these men? He had learned the message of the love of Christ of turning the other cheek. Can you imagine a guy walking in to, the, to church this morning with two men on each shoulder? What should I do with these guys? They just jumped. <laughs> and you know what happened is the men discovered This is that Moses? If this Moses can change, so can we. And they took monastic vows and decided to live the monastic life. It's said that St. Moses, by the end of his life, by his example, had 70 of his previous comrades who had become monks, who had turned from the life of sin and murder and abuse and thievery in order to follow Christ. Because it can be done. 
It can be done if you don't do what Herod did. Getting caught in your own fear and the, pr- the, pride, the pride of life that just is so tempting. St. Gregory Palamas in his homily talk, spoke so much about how Herod was tempted to preserve his honor before men. So much so that he was willing to take the head, that precious head of the Holy Forerunner and Baptist. He lived with regret. And as far as the teaching of the church is concerned, and we heard it in the, the, the Synaxarium this morning during Orthros. You know, during Orthros, there's always a little reading from the lives of the saints. It's one of my favorite services. But if you know me, you know they're all my favorite services. It's said that he, he died a sorrowful death, taking his shame with him to the grave rather than seeking forgiveness. My question is this. Um, do you think that St. John the Baptist regretted having speak, speaking the truth? And then being imprisoned and being martyred. Do you think he regretted it at all? I mean, we should all fear imprisonment and martyrdom, shouldn't we? Should, should, should we? Depends. Yeah, that's a good answer. Lucy's shrugging her shoulders like, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. There's an honest fear of, of the unknown. There's an honest fear of what, what may come that we don't know, but... There's the but again. But if you trust in God and are seeking to do his will, then you're always, then, then you will be free even if you're in prison. I heard it said so beautifully and so simply once. Those who are truly free have fewer choices because they follow the truth. That's how it was for. It's not like, oh, I wish I could have that which I know I shouldn't have. You become unconflicted. And not out of some sick form of legalism or moralism. But everything, just like we said last night, because of, out of love. It's all out of love. St. John the Baptist was not a moralist preaching to people on the street corner to get it right. Make yourself receptive to receive the living God. St. Gregory Palamas talks about our inner conflict, speaking of Herod's unwillingness to repent of his promise to give Herodias' daughter up to half of his kingdom. And uh, unwillingness to repent due to his desire to receive honor from men. St. Gregory says, brethren, our mind too suffers something similar. It's something we need to be, strive to be attuned to. It was created by God, our mind was created by God to be king and absolute ruler of the passions. But when charmed by them, It is led into unnatural servitude and alien deeds to those enslaved by sin and passion 
when they are accused by their own conscience, they are grieved and displeased. Those enslaved by sin and passion, when they are accused by their own conscience, are grieved and displeased. Their first reaction is, so to speak, to shut their conscience. And Herod imprisoned John because he did not want to hear him. They cannot even bear the words of Scripture which reject sin and encourage every kind of goodness. Finally, once they are completely in the power of Herodias, who unlawfully shares their life, in other words, of a mind that's prone to sin, they destroy the word of grace dwelling within them. That is their conscience. And it's a beautiful gift that God has given each and every one of us a conscience. Annulling it utterly, they disbelieve and contradict the scripture inspired by God, becoming entirely unscrupulous and opposed to God's word as Herod was against John. That's what we might call the hardening of the heart. We cannot let our hearts be hardened. Especially in this day and age, so much conflict, disagreement and confusion and frustration. We can't harden our hearts, especially not against the God-given conscience. We cannot be grieved and displeased when our conscience accuses us because it's a gift of God for us to be made according to His likeness. Listen to the apolitician of St. John, the forerunner, in contrast to this. I get to say it every day because when I come, or every time I serve liturgy, you, you don't see me when I come here before you all. There's a special service I get to do where I say some prayers before entering in to serve the divine liturgy. And I say prayers in front of each and every one of the icons on the iconostasis and venerate it. And because I get to greet the forerunner too every time, this one is, is deeply ingrained in me, but I don't think many of you are that familiar with it. This is the Apolitiki on the hymn for St. John the Forerunner. The memory of the righteous is celebrated with songs of praise. It always has been. You celebrate those who come in from battle gloriously, praise them for the, the work that they've done. The memory of the righteous is celebrated with songs of praise. And we do that in the church too. When we celebrate the lives of those who have gone before us and, been, and have been triumphant in Christ. The memory of the righteous is celebrated with songs of praise, but the Lord's testimony is sufficient for thee, O forerunner. Christ was sufficient for him. He longs not for our adoration. He's so humble, but the testimony of the Lord is enough for him. Thou was shown indeed to be the most honorable of the prophets, for in the waters thou didst baptize him whom they had proclaimed. After suffering with joy in behalf of the truth, hear this, thou didst proclaim even to those in Hades, the God who appeared in the flesh, who taketh away the sins of the world and granteth us great mercy. The church also teaches that when St. John was beheaded, as a prophet, he went to Hades and proclaimed to those in Hades the God who appeared in the flesh, the one whom they were to anticipate. And then what happened on Great and Holy Saturday when the Lord 
did his descent into Hades. Guess what the forerunner was doing there? The same thing he was doing out in the desert. Here he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, oh man, that was a failure. I got beheaded. Bummer. He continued his work. Because no one can inhibit the work that God wants to do in and through His chosen vessel, which each and every one of you are. His chosen vessels. You may be a little more like Herod in your inner conflict. And you may be a little more like St. Moses the Ethiopian in your repentance. But you should also strive to be like the forerunner in discerning in whatever way you can how it is that you can bear witness to the God who became flesh and loves us. That you can say to others, behold, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when you do, when you take these examples and these teachings seriously, the conscience will no longer be a source of grief and displeasure, but that, that's gift from God that actually leads to true freedom, the freedom to follow Him, because those who are truly free have fewer choices because they follow the truth without regret without shame and with true joy. May it be for us as well. Amen.